on 2 Chronicles 7, 14 theme. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's where we're going to camp on the next phrase, and turn from their wicked ways. I want to talk to you along the subject is when God shows up, sin has to flee. When God shows up, something got to give. Now, Monday night, 60-plus of us met here to pray, and we're going to meet again this Monday night at 7, and hopefully maybe in April, come together in a few meetings. But my wife and I, we just, Holy Spirit was getting on us, and we went to confess, and I said, good night, I'm going to have to go find me a place in the corner to confess. I don't want everybody to know my sin. And, and I mean, we have people confessing everywhere. And, uh, and that's what getting right is all about, dealing with your sin. 1 John 1, 6 through 10 is our main text. <clears throat> and if you'll turn there. But while you're turning, I want you to listen to a few things. Turn from your wicked ways. God's saying you and I need to repent. In Luke 24, verse 47... And that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name, in Jesus' name, to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And John's message was that of repentance, turning from sin and turning to Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but listen to this, but that all, all should come to repentance. Now, now guys, repentance is at the very foundation of our belief system. Repentance is at the very uh, foundation of our maintenance system as a believer. Repentance is important. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us what we do now when we don't repent. Listen to it. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. What are we supposed to do? Confess and turn from our sinful ways. Confess means to acknowledge. It means to admit what the problem is, what the sin is. To conceal means to keep it secret. Now, let me tell you what the enemy wants to do for all of you. He loves to get you doing something. I'm talk talking about God now. I'm talking about the enemy likes for you to mess up, and then you conceal it. Hide it. Don't tell nobody about it. That's what the enemy wants. Because there are consequences for sin in our lives. And, and so, understand when it comes to this, that you and I have a position. We should have a proper attitude. Proverbs 28 verse 14 said, Blessed are those who fear to do wrong. It didn't say, blessed are those who fear God. Now, look, we need to respect God. We need to know that God 
holds us accountable for the things that we do. But he's not talking about God here. He's talking about the fear of you and I sinning. He's talking about the fear of you and I doing wrong. Why? Because things happen in such a way. We ought to be scared. We ought to fear uh, transgressing against God. We should not want to hurt God in any way if we're right with God. When God shows up, sin has to flee. Evidently, I'm not the best tree person in the world. I've had three apple trees or two apple trees in the ground for three years, and I haven't even seen a bloom. I put some blueberry bushes out, and ain't nothing happening. I put a fig bush, a a fig thing out, and and it grew and and had one fig on it, and deer eat that. (laughs) I said, my goodness. But some of you may have heard of this tree. It's called a Judas tree. How many of you heard of the Judas tree? All right, a few of you. The Judas tree, in its full bloom, is brilliant in its beauty, has crimson flower couplets, they're uh, shaped cups, and they draw bees, and they draw insects and butterflies. And from the very outset, the, the bees, the wild bees, come in for the nectar to, to produce honey, but something goes on around the, the bud and around the flower cup that it puts out when an when a insect lands on that outside. The, those who know all about this stuff tell me <laughs> that there is actually a sleeping draught. It is an opiate. It is a drug that kills the insect. So beneath the Judas tree, when you're walking around it, if you know you found one, you should see thousands of dead insects. You see, sin is a lot like that Judas tree. Sin may look sweet. Sin may look good. Sin may look bright. Sin may look pleasant. It may be attractive to your eyes. It may even appear harmless to indulge in it. But lurking behind the pleasures of sin is a fatal poison. And it'll kill every one of us spiritually if we know God. It'll keep you from coming to God unless you're willing to repent. The fatal poison that leads to your and I slow spiritual death is described in a serious way in 1 John 5, 16. If you see a Christian or brother sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray for them. But but there is a sin that leads to death. It's called the sin unto death. And I'm, John says, I'm not saying you should even pray for those who even commit it. Now, I can rest assure you that's going to take some spiritual sensitive people to discern and to distinguish what that's all about. But I believe like John, there's a sin unto death. And I believe it's believers that commit it. And it's a serious thing. We ought to fear. We ought to, to respect enough not to sin so we don't get caught up in these traps. What is the key? What, what, what should we be doing? Well, I think repentance is the key. Repentance is to call for a genuine, heartfelt, true expression 
of a per- person's deepest feeling toward that which is wrong, and we don't want to repeat it. God, forgive me. I confess it, and I call it for what it is, and then I walk away from it. That's repentance. And don't go back. You see, many of you are stumbling all over your iniquity today, and it's because of persistent habitual sin, and you think you're okay. But yet, I know what the Word of God says in the Old Testament and the New, and what's really going on in our life is there's a growing distance between you and the sweet fellowship of the Lord. Your prayer becomes a strain. Your life becomes increasingly stressful, and your heart becomes restless. Because of your unconfessed sin and your resistance to do what God clearly has guided you to do, you have this overwhelming feeling of emptiness, and you're brought face to face with the person that you've become out of the will of God for your life. Jeremiah in his day had a people who who stumbled beneath the burden of their iniquity, and the cause of their stumbling was their sin. Now, I know it's springtime, and I love it. And already some of you are already thinking about it. We're going to tackle those garages. I know mine needs it, and your does too. I know that right now you're looking at your yards, and you're biting it to bits to get it back green. Some of you are already, yes, go ahead and put it on your schedule. That closet, my friend, is a mess. And under your bed, honey, why have you let it accumulate like that? Some of you are saying, he knows all that stuff, don't he? I don't know none of that stuff. What we really need is to be freed from the clutter, not only in our homes and our garages and our yards, but we need to be free from clutter in our spiritual lives. And we need to do some house cleaning. Look, if you want God to show up in a personal revival and you're not willing to deal with your, uh, deal with your sin, forget it. God's not going to send it. God's not going to hone in unless it is confession along with, coupled with repentance. Billy Sunday said, a famous evangelist from years ago, I'm against sin, he said. I'll kick it as long as I got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I got a head. I'll bite it as long as I got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it to death all the way home to glory and send it where it needs to go, to the home of its perdition. As believers, we should be against any type of sin, all sin in our life. In purpose that we'll kick it and fight it and bite it. And we'll ha- if we have to, we'll gum it all the way home to glory. Our attitude should be that we will not tolerate sin in this body. If we would take a serious view like that, we could see revival in our own lives and personally and the power of Acts chapter 1 in our lives. Well, that's the introduction. I'm about wore out. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9 says this. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. 
And as believers, there should exist in our heart a love for righteousness and a hatred for iniquity. I want to share with you three factors concerning sin. First of all, beginning with verse 8, with the reality of sin. If we claim we have no sin, that's absolutely no sin, we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know what that really means? I want to say this in the early service, and I'm going to go ahead and say it before the invitation. I already know you sinning. I know it. Lord, does he know what sin I'm going to commit? Nope. But I know you're sinning. Sure do. And some of you carrying a sin, and you've been carrying it for a while, and you haven't really dealt with that sin. And you need to deal with it. God is expecting you today not walk out of here and not deal with it. Verse 8 says that we find here a claim that, that we're not sinless or, or, or we, we have no sinlessness going on. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, which means to be led astray. There's no one, regardless of how holy and consecrated you are, that can make the claim that we're not in the process of dealing with sin. It's there. It's a reality in your life and mine. There was a preacher walking along one day, and he come up on a group of young boys, and they were all circled around this dog. Preacher said, boys, what y'all up to today? He just kind of looked at him and said, well, if you got to know, preacher, what we're really up to, we're trying to figure out who the biggest liar is, and whoever the biggest liar is gets his dog. Preacher said, my, oh, my, my, my. When I was a little boy like you, I didn't lie at all. Got real quiet. All of a sudden, the little boy says, here, preacher, we believe you've won the dog for today. (laughs) You know, it's true. If you and I think that we're without sin, but but that's not really the determining factor. The factor is, are you willing to confess that sin? Are you willing to do something about it? Or are you just going to let it stay in the camp? Verse 10. Now, while it's true that you may not be able to claim that we're not guilty of certain sins, you surely cannot claim that you're totally free from it. Verse 10 says that we not only see that we cannot make the claim of sinlessness, but we also can't deny the, the uh, sinfulness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and His Word is not in us. You see, once Billy Sunday again was preaching, and he sent a message, a letter to the mayor of the town. He was going to speak, and he said, Please, send me a long list of anyone that needs prayer, anyone that has, is in a sinful condition, and that is, is dealing with serious things in their life. And the mayor sent him back the entire city directory. Well, let me tell you something. If you really want to get down to the bottom of it, whoever is a member of even tended Solid Rock, your name is on the road. You're already dealing with sin. What we need to understand is from A to Z in the Covington, Rockdale, Whatever surrounding area you want to list, your name's already in the sinful phone book. Because you're dealing with sin. 
sometimes we just simply play with it. We think we can bring fire in the bosom and we won't get burned. It's not true. You're getting burned. Second of all, we see the results of sin, verse 6. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. I'm going to give you just a little bit of theological insight on studying the Bible. You could take that passage in proof text that preacher, sin in your life, you're in darkness, you're lost. But that's not what that verse is saying. You see, there are passages that are called fellowship passages. Then there are passages that are sonship passages. Anytime you start dealing with things that deal with the sonship, you're dealing with eternal life. You're dealing with your eternal destiny. But when you're dealing with fellowship, it's assuming that you already know that you're saved and the fellowship is what you're dealing with. You say, well, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, let me share with you a few verses. Romans 15, 26 says, For it had pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for poor saints which are at Jerusalem. That word contribution is a word that means the same word in 1 John 1, 6 of fellowship. Really what he's talking about is the contribution is being a recipient of God's blessing. Don't tell me that you're being blessed by God and you're not confessing your sin. Don't tell me that God's blessing you and you've got known sin in your life. Absolutely, it's broken. It's broken fellowship. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? We not only see a contribution as a problem when we are in sin, but communion is a problem. What's that mean? It means that you and I have a closeness and intimacy with God. You're not going to feel close. You're not going to feel intimate. And you won't even be praying if sin is actively in your life unconfessed. It's just not going on. Only one you can verify that. Hebrews 13, 16 says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You see that again, that word communicate means fellowship. And it's talking about in speaking terms with God. Isn't it amazing that we hear verses like this in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. Now you say, well, now, wait a minute. That, that's referring to a lost person, is it? God is not obligated because of the consequences of sin to sit there and watch you in rebellion, to watch you play, to watch you do things that you know absolutely is wrong in your life and put out this major blessing on you. He's not obligated to do that. Yes, God wants to bless you. Yes, he wants to contribute to you. Yes, he wants to communicate with you. Yes, he wants to have sweet fellowship and communion with you. But there is a price that you and I must pay if we say we are God's children and we choose to live in known sin. 
Now, look, you're sinning. I already know that. So you got to do something with it. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Thirdly, <clears throat> the requirements of spiritual cleansing. Look at verse 7. But if we're living in the light as God's in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How can God forgive me, Mike, of my sin? How can he eternally position me as a believer because of the blood of Jesus? But that don't excuse you of everyday living. That doesn't say that you can just do whatever you want to. While it's true, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, you say, Mike, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to confess your sins to him. Now, many of you do like a lot of our religious faith. You handle it like the confession booth. You go in there, and all you do is just confess everything. Well, that's a part of it. It's not all of it. A priest one day was learning as a priest, and an older priest was teaching him how to, to do confession. And so the two went in the booth together. All day long, they heard confession after confession. Finally, at the end of the day, the older priest turned to the younger priest and said, Sir, when a, I think you need to learn this, that when a person finishes with a confession, you should say, in order of, I agree, it's terrible what you've done. And I would encourage you to stay away from that kind of a behavior. But instead of saying, wow. I ain't believing that. <laughs> confession is a part of it, but we need to understand that confession means to look at sin and to say towards sin the same thing that God says. Man looks at sin and says, and it's an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man looks at sin and says, well, that's a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man looks at sin and says, well, that's a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls it error. God calls it enmity. Man calls it infirmity. God calls it iniquity. God or man calls it luxury. God calls it leprosy. Man calls it liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it trifle. God calls it tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it weakness. God calls it willfulness. Sin must be called for what it is. Name it one by one. Amen. And that's not your calories. You say, well, Mike, I, I just don't know what kind of sin I'm committing. Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to reveal sin in your life? You better get a long sheet of paper. Make sure you got plenty of ink in that pen. Because you one naive believer. You know, we look at the tough stuff, murder, all the different things that we could just list, prostitution, all these things, and we, you know, all these things that just 
that we just normally kind of get to about 10, and then we go, oh, good night, I, I can't come up no more. You ought to be able to hit about 75 if you got honest, if you're getting close to getting honest. Well, let me balance this and close. Yes, sin is wickedness against God, but what's God expecting out of us? In one of Max Licato's books, some of you may know him. He's a good writer. He tells a true story of a mother named Maria and a daughter named Christina. They lived in a poor village, the two, in Brazil. And her husband died when Christina was just an infant. Maria worked as a maid to support herself and her daughter. And one morning, Maria woke up to find that her daughter's bed was empty. She knew that Christina had headed to the big city. And in the big city, not a good place for a young girl. With her heart broken, she got her clothes together and dropped by a drugstore heading toward the bus station and took as many pictures, black and white, of herself as she could and money allowed. Got on the bus and headed to the big city. She headed to the places where young girls would just probably have to go to support themselves, to the bars, to the hotels, nightclubs, to the reputation of the streetwalkers and prostitutes. She went into each of them. And each, she would go into the lobbies and of all the motels and all, everywhere she could, and she would, she would tape a picture of herself on it, and she had a little two-line notice, a, a note on the back of the picture. Finally, her pictures ran out. Time ran out, money ran out, and with tears on her face, she never found her daughter. She headed back to that little village in Brazil. Two weeks later, Christina descended a flight of hotel stairs. Her face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but, but only spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a picture of her mother. Tears filled her eyes as she walked across the room and removed the picture. She looked at the picture, and then she rolled it over and read the little note, and it said this, Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. God says to those who have sinned, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've become. If you'll turn and come to me, confess your sins, God says, and repent, I will forgive your sins, I will cleanse you, and from all unrighteousness. You have a loving Father. Thank God, or you wouldn't be forgiven. But that loving Father demands us to turn from our wicked ways. If you want to hear from heaven, if you want sense God close to you, then sin has to go. You say, Mike, where do I deal with that sin? Well, I think we have this old-fashioned altar. And remember, everyone in here is sinning. Now, maybe you dealt with your sin today, and that's great. But some of you got some sin that you haven't repented of. 
And I'm just going to speak on God's behalf. God is expecting you to repent. And that means to turn from it. And you may have a lot of issues in your life, and you may have addictions in your life. You may have a lot of serious stuff in your life. But unless you're willing to repent, it ain't going away. It ain't going away. I don't care how many times you pray, you still got to repent. I don't care how many times you confess it, you still got to repent. And if you don't repent, it's going to eat your lunch. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you stand with me quietly? Dear God, 